And the impression I had is Alton sits in a bowl. Uh, I don't know if that's right, but that was the impression I have. Okay, that's, that's a good start then. Uh, somebody's only ever been here. This is my fourth visit, I think, in my life to Alton. Um, and I felt God say that he was filling the bowl with his presence. Hallelujah. And that this church was to be part of filling a bowl with the, pre- the presence of God. But the important thing was that bowl was then to overflow. And I feel that for this church, there is going to be a season where you will uh, see uh, a, a, a much, much greater impact. It's not you've had impact before, but a much greater impact outside of the immediate environments of Alton and the immediate surrounding villages, going much further out. Um, by the reaction on the front row, I'm assuming that makes some sense to you. Um, I, as I say, I know very little about uh, Alton and the, the area, but just a, re- a strong sense that don't just think Alton and don't just uh, think even the villages immediately around here. There's something much greater to impact. You know, when a bowl gets full and overflows, it doesn't overflow on one side. It overflows on all sides, and it affects all the areas beyond it. So I'll just leave that with you guys to consider. I also just want to comment on uh, you guys who led worship. I can see some of you over there. I'm not sure where you all are, but... Caw. Do you ever want to come and lead worship in Citygate? It was fantastic. Thank you. I, I, I mean, I, you, you guys were obviously used to this. I don't know. Or maybe that was their first time. I don't know. But I just thought it did an exceptional job. I just so enjoyed meeting with God in your worship. It was wonderful. So well done, guys. Isn't God good? Isn't he good? All the time he is good. Absolutely, that's the one. Um, I don't know whether any of you have had to have a health check recently. Uh, I I had to have one probably about three, four months ago. I think it was the first one I'd ever had in my life. Um, And it was quite an occasion in one sense. It was sort of sitting down with the GP. Uh, Emma and I in the process of becoming foster parents. And uh, so it was a health check for that purpose. And uh, I, I didn't know what to expect. And it was like, an, like a quiz with your GP for 20 minutes about what you did, your lifestyle, and checking your blood pressure and all that, all that sort of stuff. And you know it's a good thing to do, to have a health check every so often? Of course, by law, we're required to have a health check of things like our cars. You know, the dreaded MOT. Don't remember anybody else dreads having, putting their car through the MOT. I always dread putting the car through the MOT. It's probably just to do with the type of cars I historically I've run. <laughs> and... Uh, 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 but, you know, there's lots of things we need to service or check up regularly, whether it's your heating at home and, you know, your gas safety certificates and all that sort of stuff, or whether it's your car. But sometimes I think we forget to do a health check on our lives. And I'm not talking about this time our physical health, that's part of it, but actually I'm talking about our whole, and particularly our spirit, and who we are in Christ and, you know, I just ask, how often do you check your, as it were, your spiritual, emotional health? That's the question I really want to be asking this morning. How often do you do it? Can you, you know, when was the last time you did it? When was the last time you took a pause and thought, actually, how am I doing in myself, in God? And this morning, the passage we're going to look at, uh, I hope, is going to help us to conduct a, uh, quite a brief, quick, spiritual health check. And uh, what we're going to do is we're 
going to look at part of the Sermon on the Mount. If you've got your Bibles with you, you may want to start turning uh, to the book of Matthew and chapter 5. And we're going to use uh, the first part of uh, Matthew chapter 5, what we call the Beatitudes, as a bit of a spiritual health check today. And uh, um, there's quite a lot of the Beatitudes, and we've got quite a short time for this sermon. If you do the maths, eight Beatitudes in about 30 minutes means about two and a half minutes each, something like that. No, three and a half minutes each. I can't remember. I did do the maths, but I've forgotten what the sum was. Uh, it means we haven't got very long to look at each one of them. So it's going to be very much a sort of a, a brief overview look, but it may be then something you want to pick up on if you take notes or if you can get recording or whatever. You may be things in there you particularly want to follow up uh, as uh, afterwards, maybe one aspect or whatever. Can I also just say, though, when we look at the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, let's beware, be aware these are for Christians. Okay? These, these comments are for Christians. They're about the Christian life. And so I, I think sometimes we can look at things like the Sermon on the Mount and think, well, we can use it to judge others, people who aren't of faith yet, or at least of our faith yet. And let's not do that. I want to encourage us. Let's use them. These are here for us. They're here to, for us to grow deeper in Christ. So, uh, for each beatitude, just before we read them, I want to say this. There are two aspects. You'll find there's a comment that starts with blessed. Now, that word blessed means happy. It means happy are those who, whatever the statement is. And really, these statements, the first part of these statements are a statement about the Christian life. They're a statement about who Christians are, a very core of who we are. And then the second part of each statement comprises this. It comprises a promise or a result. This is how uh, it will affect your life. This is what you'll be. If you are like this, this is what your life will then look like. And so as we go through these Beatitudes, I want us to uh, look at it in that light. I'm going to each time, I'll, I'll, we'll start with the happy statement. And then we'll go on to the promises. The promise which comes out of that. The effect of living in that way. In all of this, though, I just want to say this, because I think the sermon title you've probably been given, if you've been given it, is this, happiness is. Do you know the scripture doesn't say much about happiness? Actually, if you, if you um, search in your concordance on uh, verses with the word happiness in, you'll find perhaps six or eight verses, something like that, throughout the whole of scripture. What, though, we find in scripture is this, which is as we seek the kingdom of God rather than our happiness first, we find total contentment and peace and joy and all those other things which would make up what the world calls happiness. And the context, of course, of Beatitudes, or this passage, is very soon after we come on to uh, Matthew 6, which is this, above everything else, seek first the kingdom of God. Above everything else, seek first the kingdom of God. And so these, uh, these uh, statements are coming out of who we're called to be, who we are, who Christ has made us. The world wants to say, pursue happiness above everything else. Our faith says, pursue God and his kingdom above everything else. And in so doing, you will find great contentment, great happiness, great peace, great joy. And so I just want to highlight that before we start. Right, let's, uh, let's dive into Matthew Chapter 5, hopefully you found it if you've got it with you. I'll read it to you. Verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus is talking about, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. 
His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Father, we ask as we consider your word, would you speak to us? Would you cause your word to have great effect in our hearts and our lives? That it wouldn't just return empty. We know that's not possible with your word. But that it would produce great fruit in our lives. We are sovereign God. Would you come by your Holy Spirit and help us to hear you? This morning, we want to meet with you above everything else. It's it's great already to have started meeting with you. We want to continue that. We want to continue enjoying your presence. And we want to allow your word to cut deep into our lives. That it would yield great fruit. Help us to grab hold of your word and apply it, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, let's start. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. No, this isn't the poor. This is the poor in spirit, in in their very essence of who they are. Happy are the poor in spirit. (coughs) Excuse me. These are people who have a sense, who have arrived at a sense of being empty in themselves. These are people who feel destitute of their own resources, that they've realized that they can't do life, they can't be without something else, that actually they do not in themselves have enough of their own resources to be and to do life and to live life to the full. They're people who've been humbled in their own eyes, such that any sense of arrogance and I can do it and I'm, it's all about me. That's all lost. Leading to an absolute and total need for and dependence on God. It's saying, hey, I can't do life. I can't do life. I've got to hand my life over because I can't do it by myself. It's people who have realized the enormity that the gospel isn't just uh, uh, some little package you add into life. But it's people who've realized, actually, my life's going to be totally and completely transformed. Totally and completely transformed. Now, I know nothing about this building particularly, but my background is I'm a charter surveyor. And I love buildings, and I've run our building project in City, uh, at Citygate for the last nine years, where we've been building a fairly major auditorium and all the other bits and pieces. And I know that prior to this building being created, this space being created in this building, it was an empty shell. But look at it now. Now, your life needs to become an empty shell. Where you go, I, we, hey, I'm desolate without God. 
I'm desolate without God. But in God, he'll put everything I need in. He'll lay everything. He'll, he'll make something beautiful. And of course, that is the promise here, which is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who have abandoned themselves solely to the grace of God, to the love of God, can be assured of their salvation, a future hope in God. That God is going to come and dwell in them and bring about all that he wants to for the glory and honor of his name. And that's wonderful. And that can be a sure, certain hope because it's in Scripture. And we know Scripture is completely and totally infallible. That we can trust it totally. The question, therefore, I have from this beatitude is this. Is there something of your life today, perhaps even now, which by the Holy Spirit the Father is highlighting, which needs to die of yourself today? Is there an area where God's saying, hey, I've been asking for that for some time? Perhaps an area we've held back on, back from God. Something of our heart attitude, maybe. Something of our life. Something of the resources he's given us. Something of where we're not yet trusting God in our lives. Maybe it's about our family, our children, our relationships with others. Are you poor in spirit? Have you got to that place where you can say, oh, it's all you, Jesus. I hand it all over to you. I hand it all over to you. Poor in spirit, knowing that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You need to move on. Happy are those who mourn. Now, this doesn't mean in a worldly, sinful way, that sort of sense of all is lost mourning, inconsolable grief that you can come across sometimes. Or even a despairing over sin, all is lost in a wrong sense, where, we've, where, where, where perhaps we've, we've messed up and we've sinned. It's not that inconsolable sin. What the word here, mourn, means is a genuine sadness. A genuine sadness over uh, something which is, which is gone. Whether it be because we've sinned and we've, we've, we've lost that sense of um, purity which we had at the cross. And we need to come back a genuine mourning. A genuine sadness. But it can obviously also be, and I'm sorry, I don't know the person who's been briefed this week. Obviously, it can be that genuine, oh, sadness. I've lost someone. Those who mourn. We can mourn for all sorts of reasons. We can mourn for all sorts of reasons. The promise is this. That God will come and bring his comfort. God will come. He reminds us of the promise, the assurance of eternal salvation. He brings his comfort. He comforts us now and he comforts us forever in the time to come. These folk who mourn will be comforted. You know, part of knowing the comfort of God is knowing that God is in control, that he's on the throne, that he's a good God that he uh, knows everything that's going on and is intimately involved in our lives, and therefore we can trust him. Even when we don't know, we go, God, what's happened? We can mourn. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to say, oh, what's happened, God? But it's not inconsolable because there's hope, because the king is on the throne, 
because he's a good king. He's a good God who is in control of each and every aspect of our lives. That's what scripture tells us. And therefore, while we can be sad, we're not inconsolable. While we can experience grief, we don't have to move to a place of despair because he's a good God. He's a good God. And I pray for those who mourn here today that you will know that God of peace, that God of comfort. You'll have such an awareness of the love of God even enfolding you right now by his spirit that God is in control. In Jesus' name, amen. But I want to ask this question before we move on from this. Do you have a godly sorrow over your sin? Because we need to mourn our sin. We need to have a godly sorrow over when we sin. It's not that we just go, oh, I got it wrong and we move on. We're called to mourn our sin in a right sense, to say, hey, that's wrong. That's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. To identify it as wrong, to say, oh, now I need to move on from that. Knowing that we can. Do you mourn that place where you've rebelled against God? Third one. Happy are the meek. Well, who are the meek? I mean, aren't the meek doormats? Yeah, that was, uh, I think when I first read this, I got saved at the age of 19. Came from a, a nominal Christian background prior to that. I remember reading this probably, I don't know, it was 2021, something like that, and thinking, meek? That means you're a doormat. I don't want to be a doormat. I haven't joined a club called Doormats for Jesus or anything like that. I'm not going to have people walking all over me. What's, what's it mean, the meek? What it means is this. It means those who quietly submit their lives to God. The meek are those who quietly submit our lives to God, who put him first. We say, God, you're more important than anything else. So I'm going to be obedient to what you've called me to be and to do. Who follow the lead of his spirit. Who hear his loving correction and embrace it. Uh, It's those who walk humbly before God, as uh, we could read of in um, Micah 6.8, I think. It's not those who are arrogant or those who are pushy or those who are angry or those who are seeking revenge or any of those other things. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a right humility before God, recognizing that actually he is Lord. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is our father. He's the great God above all other gods, the one who's high above all other things. He is God, not the God I want to create, but he is the sovereign God who determines every aspect of my life and who can be in control of my life and I can trust him absolutely and fully and therefore I'm happy to submit my life willingly to him. That's what being meek is about. Quietly submitting our lives to God. Submitting the whole of our lives to God. Knowing and that we can be confident in his plan and purposes for our lives. Secure in him. That's what we're called to be. Secure in him. Knowing that we can trust him totally and absolutely. Why are the meek happy? The meek are happy because they're not straining for a claim. They're not straining for acknowledgement or approval. They're not trying to find their identity somewhere else. 
They're sure inside here, deep inside themselves. They're sure of who they are. They don't need to go and prove themselves to anyone. They don't need to go and achieve anything other than what the Father calls them to. And that's the outworking of obedience. In other words, they're content in who God has made them to be and who he's called them to be. They're content in his love. They're content in his plan, that he's got a plan. Do you know that? God has got a plan for each and every one of us to walk in. And it's a good plan because he's a good God. It can't but be a good plan because he is a great, good God who loves his children and only has good gifts for his children. That's the God we have. This is our Father. And what happens to the meek? Wow. We get to inherit the earth. The meek get to inherit the earth. That's a direct quote from Psalm 37, verse 11. Literally, what it means is they get to inherit the land. Now, theologians are a little bit unsure what's being referred to here. It could be a reference to the long term, that, we, uh, that our long-term destination is, the hev- is heaven. It's the land of God. But it may also be a sense... Other theologians would say, of enjoying the land in which we live today. And that we actually get to see the land uh, and inherit the land which God has promised around us. And our influence across a town, or even a bowl, or even outside of a bowl. I think it's probably a combination of the two. They both work. They both, they both fit here. But, you know, the sense is that God has got a lamb for us to enjoy. We inherit the earth. He's got a plan, you see. He's working out his plan. How do you look at life? Are you striving for more? Are you always feeling you're trying to grab something more? You're always... It's always about you and your next step, your next plan, your next this, your next... Right the way throughout life. Maybe it's in your workplace. It's the next rung up the ladder. Once I get to the next rung up the ladder, I'll be happy. I'll be content. When I've got that car or that house or I live in that road or when, when, whatever, you fill in the gap. Do you ever find yourself striving for more? Striving not for more of God but for more of anything but... More of the material, more of what you can grab hold of, more relationships, more this, more that, more more love, more security outside of God. No. Friends, we're called to humble ourselves before God. And He makes us whole. He gives us the land. As I was preparing this, I felt God say there would be somebody here, it may be more than one, and you're battling with stress. You're battling with it at the place where you've been to see the doctor. They've told you that you need to calm down, relax, uh, uh, dial down, reshape your life, all the sort of stuff the doctors would say. And hey, what the doctors do is brilliant and fantastic. I'm not uh, denigrating anything that doctors do. And it's still not working. You've got pills you can take, and they're helping a bit. Everything's helping a bit, but ultimately, deep inside of you, you are feeling stressed to the rafters. You're feeling stressed right to the, everything in your life. You're feeling so stressed. And I feel God wants to say this to you. When are you going to start to trust me to fulfill my purposes 
in your life? When are you going to let go of fulfilling your own destiny and walking in the plans I have for you? When are you going to start trusting me? And if you're here, I'd love to pray for you afterwards or one of the ministry team could pray for you afterwards. But it starts with understanding who you are in Christ, that you can trust God and you don't need to make life a stress in that sense because you can know the peace of God which passes all understanding instead as you hand your life fully over to him and give him total control over every aspect of your life. We need to move on. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now that word righteousness, what's it, what's it mean? It's probably here meant to represent all the blessings we can receive in Christ. All the blessings we can receive in Christ. Okay? It, sort of, it probably links in with Matthew 6.33, which I'll just read to you because I can't remember what it says off the top of my head, which is bad. But seek, oh yeah, of course, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is the blessings of God. And all these things will be given to you as well. That God will provide. In other words, happy are those who hunger and thirst after all that God has for us. All the blessings of God we find in Christ. The sort of stuff we read of in Ephesians 1. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after it. Wow, what's that mean? How do we hunger and thirst after that? Well, we do just that. We ask God for it. We pursue him for it. We pursue him. We can pray blessing over one another. We can ask. He said, bless me. Bless me, God. You know, there's nothing wrong in asking God to bless you. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my borders. Things like that. It's okay to ask God to bless you. Give bless you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If we know that, we will know great contentment. We will know great happiness. Happy are those who have every blessing in Christ. But you know, it's not just to be a selfish thing. As with all of these things, there is now working where we help one another also to know that. And to enjoy the blessings of God in Christ. That's what body ministry is all about. That's what church is all about. You know, church is in the building. It's not this place. It's us. It's a people. It's a body. And each part of the body functions differently. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12. Each part of the body brings certain things into the rest of the body. Which strengthens us. Which encourages us. Which builds us up. Which enables us to do all that God's called us to do. And similarly, we minister the truth of God to one another. Similarly, we minister the grace of God to one another. Similarly, we pray for one another to be blessed and to grow in Christ together. Isn't that good? Isn't that great that we can hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God, the blessings of God over our lives. We can help one another to do that. And what's the promise? We'll be filled, or it may even be, we will be fulfilled. We will know that sense of contentment. That's the process. We seek after God's righteousness in our lives. As we lay our lives down before him, we will know that sense of deep fulfillment. We will be filled. God loves to bless us with the desires of our heart as 
we submit our lives to him. That's what Psalm 37, 4 says. It's funny, it often gets misquoted, often gets quoted like this. Well, God loves to bless us with the desires of our heart. The end problem is, it's as we delight in him. And of course, that, in that place, God can change the desires of our hearts because we're saying, actually, my heart is yours, God. And you do with it what you want to do. But as we submit our lives to him fully, completely, and totally, he loves to bless us with the desires of our heart. Our renewed heart. And you know, one of those blessings, I believe also, which God just wants to highlight today, what that sense of being filled today is being filled with his Holy Spirit. And knowing not just a, a little drop of the Holy Spirit, if I can use that analogy, a little, uh, perhaps a drop or two poured out. But what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage us. Let's be people who, yeah, pursue God, pursue his righteousness, pursue every blessing in Christ, and who are people who are filled with his Holy Spirit. Not just on a Sunday. That's easy. Isn't it? You know, well, we get into church mode on Sunday. We're coming to church. So, oh, well, we, yeah, we want God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. No, no, 24-7. 24-7, let's be a people who are filled with the Spirit of God, who are living by the Spirit of God. Where it talks in uh, Ephesians, where, where Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. That isn't, therefore, a, a, a quick one-hour fix of the Holy Spirit, and that's it for the rest of the week. No, it's a, it's a 24-7. Seven day a week, uh, you know, every, every minute, every hour of every day. It's that sort of walk by the Spirit. It's a living relationship with the Spirit. Let's be filled, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Happy are the merciful. Wow. Happy are the merciful? What do you mean? Is that a bit more like this sort of doormat stuff? What's it mean? I believe the merciful starts by knowing God's mercy over our lives. If we, want to know, if we want to be a merciful people, then let's remember God's mercy over our lives. That we who were alienated from him, we who were objects of wrath because of our sin, because God cannot look on sin. He can't because he's holy. We who were objects of his wrath. We were destined to know the wrath of God at death. Because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross. For those of us who come under that. Who say yes I'm going to hand my life over to him. For those of us who say yes I want to live for him now. I want to be a, what's called a Christian. I know that I'm doing wrong. I know that my life is, has not been pleasing to God. I want to live a life which is pleasing to God. I want to be forgiven my sin. I want, to, I want to be made clean. I know that my life is filthy and dirty and a bunch of lies and is pretty rubbish at the moment. For those of us who have come through that, who have come under the grace of God, have we found mercy or not? Haven't we found phenomenal mercy? We who deserved absolutely nothing but the wrath of God have come to find the mercy of God. That's good, isn't it? Man, that's good. 23rd of January, 1983, 
just slightly over 19 years old, I came under the mercy of God for the first time and really understood what it was to be saved. I hadn't known what it was to be forgiven ever before in my life. I remember going home. I'd never written a diary before in my life. I found a pad of paper, and I started writing a diary. And the first page of this pad of paper, all I wrote down was, I'm forgiven. I wrote it so many times, you would have thought I'd been set a punishment by a teacher at school. You know, you've got to write lines. But it wasn't that at all. It was a statement of joy. It was a statement of peace because I knew for once in my life I'd been forgiven. For once in my life I'd been made whole. For once in my life, for the first time ever in my life, I was right with God because I knew the mercy of God. Do you know the mercy of God today? If you don't, you can. If you don't, you can today. If you don't, you know, you may be thinking, Andrew, I... I'm not sure I really understand what you're talking about. I would, we would love to help you come to know the mercy of God today if you don't yet know it. Because how can we be merciful if we don't yet know the mercy of God over our lives? But we're not to stop there. We're to share that mercy with others. Happy are the merciful is the people who express mercy to those who are in sin, to those who are hurting, to those who are needy, to those who are sad in sadness or pain, that we bring comfort and support and unconditional love and acceptance to help in whatever way we can. Psalm 41 says this, Blessed is he who considers the poor, that is the poor in spirit, the broken. And as we do this, we'll find more of God's mercy. That's the promise. We'll find more of God's mercy Happy are the pure in heart. Do you know God is far more interested in what's going on in our heart than our outward appearance? Far, far, far more interested. His focus is on what's going on deep inside here. What's deep inside here? Sure, actions, they're the outworking of faith, but it's all got to start in here. It's all got to start in here. King David was chosen not because of his looks, but because of his heart for God. We can read about that uh, back in uh, the Old Testament. Pure heart means pure emotive. It means pure in attitude. Is your heart pure before God today? Is your heart pure? before our king. He knows what, what state your heart's in. You can't con God. You can't make him believe that your heart is pure when it's not. He knows the deepest, most inmost workings of our hearts. He knows our darkest, most secret thoughts. He knows what we do in the secret place. He knows what's going on. But the pure in heart, they shall see God. Do you want to gaze on God? Do you want to know the Father's love? Are you battling? You maybe, maybe you're even battling in yourself. I want to know God's love, but I'm struggling to know God's love. Can I just ask you to ask yourself the question, what state's your heart in? It won't necessarily be that that's the only reason, but it can be a big reason why often we're struggling to know God is because actually Our hearts are not pure. We've not really resolved things deep in our own hearts. We're still messing around with sin. We're still playing with stuff we shouldn't be playing with. We're still holding attitudes we should have let go of. And do you know what? Sometimes Christians can be the worst at this. I felt God as I was preparing 
stirring me on this for you as a church. Yeah, guys, I know virtually nothing about this church. Uh, I, I am part of a regional team, uh, the, New Front, uh, the commission team. I work with Malcolm K, so I hear bits and pieces, but I know virtually nothing about you as a church. And uh, nobody's asked me to say this, but I feel, I felt in God, and it was interesting because somebody actually prayed this in the pre-meeting prayer meeting this morning. I felt God was saying to me, there are people here who've got wrong attitudes to one another. There are issues, heart relational issues, which have not been dealt with in this church. I don't know who you are, but you need to deal with it. Because you're wanting to go on with God, and you're wanting to present as though you're going on with God, and you want people to think you're going on with God, but actually there are issues of the heart here which have not been resolved, which have been brewing and festering for a long time. And God is calling you to deal with your heart because deep in your heart you're harboring bitterness and resentment. And you've, you've, you, 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 you sort of put a nice gloss on it, but the reality is that's what's going on. And every so often it bubbles up to the surface and you're very good at making it look okay. And 98% of the time it, it looks okay, but the reality is that underneath it's like a storm going on. There's turbulence in your spirit because actually your heart is not being pure because you haven't resolved things. And biblically, if a brother sins against you, you need to go to them and sort it out. I don't know what that relational difficulty is. I don't know whether that's one, five, ten, fifty. I haven't got a clue, and that's not for me to deal with. I'm just bringing what I feel God's saying. You need to weigh that. You need to work it out. If it doesn't apply to you, great. If it doesn't apply to the church, hallelujah. But I just want to encourage you. Just check out your heart. Just check out your heart even now. How's your heart? Happy are the peacemakers. Well, yeah, this builds on the pure in heart. If you're not pure in heart, you won't build. You won't be a peacemaker. If we're pure in heart, then we will naturally be peacemakers. Peacemakers don't bring peace at any cost, but they see godly peace established. They see godly peace established through godly means. That's what peacemakers are. Now, again, it's not about being a doormat, but we bring God's peace on earth. We can bring God's peace in the church, but we bring God's peace on earth. How do we do that? Well, because we bring the kingdom of God. Because that's what we're called to do. The church is the agent of the kingdom of God, and we're called to advance the kingdom. How? Through loving God and through loving the lost. Put really simply. What's the promise? We're called, or do we call, children of God. Wow. We're here to be recognized. As we bring peace, people go, wow, that's a child of God. Now, they may not use that phrase. They may go, oh, blooming Christian. But the reality is, as we bring the peace of God on this earth, others will look at us and go, hey, that's a child of God. They'll recognize us for who we are eventually. But whether they recognize us or not, what this is saying is God recognizes us as a child of God. That's part of who we are. It's part of who God's called us to be. I'm moving rather quickly on these last two because I'm, run, I'm really out of time. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This is just massive. You know, if I could have preached a, a sermon on each one of these Beatitudes, I could then spend a series of sermons just on this last one. It's absolutely massive. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. 
Who here feels you'd be happy if you're persecuted because of righteousness? Who goes, whoopee, this is a great one. This is fantastic. Anybody? Oh, maybe, maybe I've got one. I've got one bit so far. Great. Anybody else? Yeah, there's a, there's a, tentative, a few tentative hands who are a bit shy. But it's true. And you go, well, hang on. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be persecuted. That, that, that sounds painful. That doesn't sound nice. It doesn't sound very joy-filled. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, hey, no, hang on. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It's so important that we don't just stop with that one line, which is why we read on into verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Let's just remind ourselves, it's because of him Okay? It's what we're not, no, don't go in just inviting persecution randomly. Oh, it's good. I'm going to be happy if I get persecuted. No, it's because of Jesus. It's because of your walk in Jesus. It's because of your faith that you get persecuted. But as you're persecuted, you can find happiness. You can find contentment in the place of persecution. You know, the concept of persecution for our faith shouldn't be strange to us, but the reality is it's alien to most of us. But it's one of those things we need to get hold of because one day we may well find we're in a place where we are persecuted because of our faith. And if we haven't got hold of the fact that actually God wants to meet us in the place of persecution, we then may go, well, where's God in this? Because we haven't got the theology to cope with the circumstances we're in. And we need to understand very clearly that actually we will be persecuted as believers. And, and actually we can be blessed in this. We can be happy in this. Because actually how we deal with it, we can bring great glory and honor to God in it. And we can be a sign of the enormity of, the, of, 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 of what God has done in our own lives, that how we deal with it to others, we can be a signpost to others of how we deal with persecution, through how we deal with persecution. And actually, it's really important that we understand that persecution will happen. And I want to encourage you, prepare yourself for it. I don't mean in some sort of martyr way, in some sort of negative attitude way, but just be aware that persecution will happen because of faith. And actually, God wants to meet us in that place and provide a great sense of contentment and happiness and peace in the place of persecution. And what happens for those who are persecuted? Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are to be great rewards in the kingdom of heaven for those who have pursued their faith. We find it again in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Direct reference still in the context of persecution. Well, great will be their reward in heaven. Wow. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you know, this isn't like some, something which is new. It's happened all the way through. It's happened all the way through. The, you know, the Bible has got lots of accounts of persecution. We're just joining on the end of a long journey of people of thousands of years. It's nothing new. It's part of who we are. It's part of who we're called to be. It needs to be in our spirit. We are ready for that. That we're not shocked when it happens. 
Are you ready for it? Do you have a theology of persecution? If not, I'd encourage you, go and find one. Go and find one. Because there will be hard times ahead. There always will be. And there'll be times where you'll otherwise ask yourself the question, what's going on? You know, I'm not prophesying this in, you know, please don't hear it as a negative prophecy or anything like that. It's the reality. It's what scripture teaches us. It will come. Times of persecution will come. Are you ready for it? Wow. Time's moved on. The pursuit of happiness is massive business today. In the world, the world says self-gratification is the thing to go for. And it provides lots and lots of ways and is always inventing new ways to make yourself feel happy. For us as Christians, our happiness is to be found in God. We've just had eight different ways in which we find happiness, contentment in God. It comes from understanding who God has made us to be, who he's called us to be, and then living it out. We can't just understand it. We've got to live it. James 1.22, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Let it get deep into your spirit. And the result of that is knowing greater God, knowing God more, a greater intimacy with God, a greater sense of God, a greater sense of his fulfillment of all these promises which come out of these beatitudes for us, a greater awareness of the love of the Father, of the grace of God, of the mercy of God, of peace with God, a deep sense of contentment which pervades our lives. We started with this spiritual health check. I want to take us back to that. How's your health? Does something need changing today? I'm not, I'm not going for a response. Please don't think, oh, well, you know, he's preached a compelling message. If, you, if it's not in your heart, please don't respond. Okay? If you're, not, if you're just responding to words, come on, it's got to be more of a connection. It's got to be more of a connection. You may start with the words, but don't just respond because you get stirred. But if you today are feeling... In God, actually, there's part of this spiritual health check I need to engage with. Maybe it's because I've shared a particular word, or maybe it's just because you're aware that God's put his finger on something by his spirit. We want to invite you to be able to respond. Can we have the worship team back, please? That would be fantastic. Um, I'm not quite sure how you do things here, but I know you've got a ministry team, so if we could ask the ministry team to be available. And uh, I'm trusting we can go into one song, please, guys, as we do that. If you want to respond on one of these things, if there's something here in this journey which we've been on today, these eight, uh, these eight Beatitudes, these eight statements of happiness, where you're thinking, actually, I know that I need to do business with God today on this, then you may want to respond as we come into this song of worship. Before we do that, actually, there's one other thing I just want to do. Pete or Peter? Either. Just, I felt God was speaking to me about you. And so, excuse me, just picking you up. I, you may find it odd that you're on the sound desk projecting the sound, which is coming back to you, but there we go. <laughs> I felt God say this to me, even just as you gave me the microphone to preach this morning. This is a man with a great heart to serve. And he wants to tell you he delights in your service because you do it unto him. He wants you to know that he finds great pleasure in your service. But more importantly, he wants you to know that he finds even greater pleasure in who he's made you to be. 
And he delights in you as a son, not because of how you serve, not because of what you do, not because of the volume of what you do or anything else, but because he's made you a child of God, because you've engaged with Jesus. You've allowed him to die for you, to set you free, and you have a new identity. And he says he delights in you as a loved child of God. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Right, let's stand. Let's enjoy God. If you want to respond to this, I'm going to hand this back over now uh, to John to lead in whatever way. But if you want to respond, I would suggest you work your way forward uh, as we uh, sing this song. Thank you, guys.